0: Refine Labs, this is State of Demand Gen.
1: Hey, podcast listening people. Connor Duby here, host of B2B Mentors. Honored to be here with you. I have with me a real treat for you, my friends. My marketing friends, especially, I have Chris Walker with me, the founder and CEO of Refine Labs, a progressive demand generation agency that challenges the status quo in B2B marketing and also the host of state of demand gen podcast where uh chris shares tangible advice and tactics alongside today's top b2b marketers honored to see you, brother i've been hearing so much about you and have been in high demand to get you on here recently so glad we made it work
0: that's awesome to hear it connor i'm really happy to be here and just a little note for people yeah i'm sure that the the marketing friends of the podcast might be more Uh, more ready for what I'm talking about, but we're having business level conversations in here. So if you're part of a business and entrepreneur, a C-level executive or anything in between, doesn't matter whether you're in product or anything, the things that I'm about to say really matter to business overall. Um, And so a lot of people put it in a marketing category, but would highly encourage people that are even outside of marketing to get educated on what this means. 100%
1: hundred percent, and and vice versa. Marketing needs to be learning about top 100%. line business, and 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 so vice versa. I'm 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 very glad that you said that. Now we got to cover this. So, how do you go from biomedical engineering degree to agency owner and just moving and shaking and blowing up the space? I th-
0: what en- what my engineering background taught me is how to methodically challenge assumptions and how to. Um, And to question whether or not what other people feel are facts are actually facts, which has led me to do things and experiment with things and try things in ways that other people would never consider because they think about things as already been proven or facts. Some of the things that I talk about that marketers continue to get stuck on are how they think about attribution inside of companies relying mainly on software in order to measure attribution, how they think about things for primarily from a sales lens, thinking about leads first rather than revenue first, which is something that marketing has been plagued by for decades. Um, so there are some certain rules that a lot most B2B marketers play by that I've challenged and found that just are no longer true, given the fact of the ways that B2B buyers have changed. Um, and so when you follow customers and you follow buyers, you get way more interesting data than when you look at your competitors and listen to what you read on blogs and what you hear about analysts mm. from analyst firms. And so because of how, because of where I focused, um, it was started in 2016, I got deeply, uh, deeply interested in how the buyers of our products actually researched, discovered and bought them. And so I did tons of qualitative research. I did surveys. I learned about where they go and do things, about when they actually wanna buy things, when what sources they'll look at, when they actually wanna engage with sales, which created a lot of respect from the side of a marketer about when we actually wanna pass someone to sales and created a lot of insights for me about why leads from certain sources or certain things in the funnel were playing out the way that they are, that other people, well, a lot of people say that I'm able to explain concepts and things that they've noticed in their head, but haven't been able to articulate and I believe that there, that's a lot of the engineering background about understanding exactly how the engine works, not just watching the car drive forward.
1: Well, I think that's what makes you super dangerous. I mean, you're right, you're right brain dude, but you're left brain dude all at the same time. And that's, you know, those who really have a balance because there's a lot of engineers that can never communicate as well as you do. But you're a phenomenal communicator. Obviously, look at all the great content you've been putting out. Um, You know, Refine Labs, talk about that a little bit. What is it that is so unique to the approach that you guys are taking? What is the secret sauce that has gotten you so much hype recently, I would say, you know, like why are so many people recognizing your unique approach to what you're doing nowadays?
0: So Refine Labs is a go-to-market strategy firm. We help companies think differently about go-to-market, which originally starts for most companies in marketing. The reason why is because most B2B companies know how to do sales. They've been doing sales for a very long time. The missing piece that what they have is letting their marketing team do actual marketing by empowering them with the right measurement, the right metrics and the right goals. Um, and so what we've developed is a proprietary uh, go-to-market framework that we call Pipe, which gets marketers on the right track to here's how we're going to measure marketing. Here's how we're going to think about attribution. Here's how we're going to goal our team. And then once we change the mindset about what marketing is, the measurement of how we're going to actually measure it, then leads into the execution. And because companies don't have, because companies rely on a different way to measure marketing, a different way to think about marketing, they actually do marketing 100% differently than us. So when it actually gets into the execution, we are highly differentiated in what we actually do. The channels are the same. People might think, oh, Refine Labs, they're just doing LinkedIn ads and Facebook ads and helping people with content and stuff like that. It's not about the channel, it's about how you use it. It's not about the tool, it's about how you use it. And so what we do is entirely different from a goal standpoint. From how we think about content and creative, how we think about strategy, how we think about measurement, um, which leads people that are highly educated on the differences to to see just how unique and different our approach is. We're working on formally publishing that. The target goal is in May, uh, May of this year, to publish our uh, our go-to-market framework that we call PIPE, so that everyone else could go and adopt it. We have about a, probably somewhere around fifty to sixty companies using it right now.
1: Wow. Are you doing like a book or ebook or, uh, training or something like that?
0: We're doing, uh, something a little bit different. I think that if you, uh, it's interesting, what I think about as a business owner is I look at what people have done in the past. And then I look at what is the goal of that thing that you did in the past. So if you wrote a Mm -hmm. book in 2012, what was the goal of writing the book? And then I look at, okay, if we were going to try and accomplish the same goal of writing a book in 2022, would we actually write a book or would we do something different? Um, and so we're doing something different here. I think that people are going to be really interested in what that turns out to be. But I'm not going to share many more details than that at this point.
1: Come on, man. Bring <laughs> on the sauce. What, why marketing, Chris? Like, what was it in, in your past? Was there a mentor of yours? Um, someone who's like, hey, you got to get into this marketing world, maybe pivot your career a little bit. Why, why, why why the marketing route?
0: So I, I come from a background of manufacturing and medical device companies where marketing is very different than how companies that I work with now think about marketing, um, where marketing is focused on pricing, product roadmap, go to market and distribution and promotion. Um, most companies that execute marketing, put it in a little box of promotion and call it marcom and call it a day. But if you actually look at marketing in the broad view, marketing is business. Everything that's in there, go to market strategy, product strategy, pricing and financials, and business cases, and then the promotion plan. Marketing is business. And so if you if you think about marketing that way, um, you realize that all of the things in there that are essential to growing a business and, and doing that are in there. Um, and so that's why I focused on marketing. I think about it very differently than most people do, as I explained, which creates a lot of uh, advantage for me and how I look at things because the best things are when they're all connected when pricing is matched perfectly to how we position to match perfectly to what the product is to who we segment with um and over time I've just found that companies choose to have different people in their business responsible for those different things which create a disjointed strategy um and so the re- the way that I got into it was I was writing software in 2012 in a lab um and I said hey like is and before I go and spend the next two months writing this code, what if I went out and talked to 10 people that might buy this and see what they think about? And as I started to go and actually just talk to people and do customer research, I recognized that the, the understanding what customers need and then defining that into a product roadmap and then communicating that with people properly so that they know about it, that it's available and what it means for them is what's more important. Actually, the building of the product I think is becoming more and more commoditized over time the key is having the insight to know what products to build. So, um, when you break down a business, if you think about product. Or if you think more... on
1: the marketing side, like what content do I put out? Well, have you actually asked your audience or asked your salespeople, what questions are getting asked? You're going to know what the answer is. If you do the diligence to find out the answer.
0: Totally. Yeah. 100%.
1: What is it, um, you, you know, and I I love the name too, like you, you just, you clearly have this very kind of scientific mind in the way that you think about things and go about, um, go about business uh, and Refine Labs is a great name for that. Why entrepreneurship? Why from marketing career? What, what made you decide to go down the entrepreneurship route?
0: It's funny to think, as I look back, I've always been an entrepreneur. I was in 2013, had... Um, started an e-commerce company from my bedroom that I grew to six figures, excuse me, that I grew to over six figures to learn. I did that again Mm -hmm. in 2015, again, got new learnings, got new things, which then set me up in 2019 to basically not be a first time founder, to understand business fundamentals, to have scraped my knees and made some mistakes to be prepared to go and execute this one when I was ready. Um, and so I've always been the difference for me was did I put myself in a position where I could actually be an entrepreneur? And earlier on in my 20s, I didn't. I needed a job for a fin- for a financial um, standpoint, student loans, cost of expenses, different things like that. And it wasn't until I was able to think differently about the freedom that it creates, and think differently about financials. That I, I took the leap and moved into uh, starting my own business. But
1: doing it, I mean, doing e-commerce business is one thing, but building. I mean, I heard you mention the other day you have, uh, you know, eighty percent of your employees are women. You have a very solid team. You got lots of infrastructure built up, and um, you haven't totally. built a company like this before, correct? No,
0: no. And to to clarify, it's eighty percent of our lead- our leadership team is female. Just for people, I think that it's more balanced to fifty fifty uh, the whole gotcha. company. Um, how many employees, how many team we're about to cross now? over a hundred employees. And so a reference Fantastic. for, for reference for people, uh, three years ago, this business didn't exist. So, so we've gone through some years, really good growth. Yeah.
1: What has been your framework to building out a hundred person company in three years when this is something that you haven't, um, tackled before?
0: Um, I haven't necessarily tackled it before, but I spent seven years studying it. And even though my job title doesn't really reflect, reflect it practice thinking about things like a CEO for a very long time was involved Mm. in board level decisions since 2013 um, and have always brought that mindset to things when I'm working in a B2B company and then as well in the e-commerce things which taught me a lot of different things about cash flow, supply chain, financials, things like that that give you more practical knowledge as well as in the marketing and advertising about like, how am I going to go and sell this $60 pair of shoes or whatever you're doing? and be able to still subtract the margins, subtract the CAC, and make a profit. So there was a lot of business fundamentals that got uh, got taught there. The things that I focus on, and I think that every business owner should focus on as a CEO, or you need to find a partner that can focus on them, are product, t- talent, and and marketing or ac- customer acquisition. Product is, is more inclusive than just the thing that you sell. It's the experience that's wrapped around it. So the, that would be product, customer success, things like that. You had a big bucket of, t- in, in talent at all levels. And then you have a bucket of marketing and customer acquisition. Those are the three sort of like main buckets that I focus on, on the product side. If you think about strategy, it's, it's differentiation, it's segmentation. There's so many other layers as you move into those three, but those are the three places that I focus that have driven a lot of the success of our company, um, and the key is in each of them having a clear strategy, having the insights from customers to know where exactly to focus. Um, and so um, for the past, pretty much my entire career, I've been obsessed with uh, like understanding customers at a level better than anybody else in the businesses that I worked for. And I still take that mindset today, which drives a major advantage because I re- recognize that most companies don't do this. They don't, and I think you're helping
1: yeah. marketers to do this uh, a lot too, in the way that they're not thinking about the bigger picture as much. But you're really driving that. You're really driving that that mentality um, for the CMOs out there.
0: Yeah, the goal the goal was to elevate the profession of marketing. Um, mm. I have worked in companies before where the sales team makes fun of you, where the head of sales like looks down on you. Um, that's that was my career from 2012 to 2017, um, and then. When you make the jump and you say, okay, I'm going to move from marketing doing whatever marketing is right now, which is delivering bad leads, doing, um, doing tactics that don't work, to I'm going to drive revenue for the company. I'm going to report on revenue, optimize for that, and I'm going to show people what's happening so that when our sales team is only 60% to quota and marketing's delivering the other 40, people recognize what the fuck's going on. Um, And so that's the balance that people need to get to is marketing, getting out of the idea of optimizing for leading metrics or vanity metrics, which I saw a poll. It was really sad from Saster. More than 50% of B2B companies that responded, there were 650 responses. More than 50% of them still score their marketing team on MQLs or SQLs, which is unbelievable in this day and age. You should be scoring your marketing team on qualified pipeline that wins at greater than 25% revenue and pipeline velocity in this day and age that comes through your website. And it's just so what's crazy. What's the
1: difference between qualified pipeline and if you're counting as an SQL or an MQL? What's the difference there?
0: Yeah, I mean, M- an MQL hasn't ever been touched by sales. and SQL, mm-hmm. depending on the definition, is most likely either a meeting booked or they haven't been touched by sales as well. And so the key here is aligning on win rates that matter to your sales team. So if your SQLs or your MQLs win at 5 or 10%, which most do or way less than that. MQL, some MQLs win at 0.1%. Then is that aligned with your sales? And then marketing optimizes for that. Okay, so we're going to optimize to get MQLs that our sales team wins at 0.1%, 1 in a 1,000. How is that helping your company win? And if so if you move the bar, if you move the goal to... Okay, we're going to optimize for, for opportunities that we win at greater than 25%. And we're going to start looking at that. Where do they come from? Who are they involved with? What type, of, uh, what type of strategies create those? What do buyers say about how they discovered us when they get to those points? And you start looking at it and you're like, huh, well, most of the shit that we're doing to, over here to get high volumes of MQLs actually don't drive any qualified opportunities. Why are we doing this? Um, and that's a realization that I think a lot of people, if they looked at their data, the data is black and white. It's in your CRM. Um, if they looked at the data and acknowledged it and, and stopped focusing just on how many leads do we get, and focus more on how much pipeline do we get and where does it come from and why does it happen, then I think that you would have a different marketing strategy once you went through that process.
1: Where where do you go to study this? I mean, where where are you looking for information and self educating um, yourself? So I guess that makes sense. self yeah, yourself. yeah, yeah, self-educating yourself,
0: hurt. yeah. Um, the all of it comes now from doing. At some point, you got to get out of the, you got to get out of reading the books and listening to the podcast, and you actually got to go out and do it yourself, where you get the real learnings, where you do things that people mm-hmm. haven't tried before, where you see things in real life, where you pull a lever and you get this output back. You start to see patterns, and then you realize, wow, okay, now I'm learning things that nobody else knows. I'm not looking at the information that every B2B marketer is reading. I'm doing it myself and getting this information, which is why I believe that I can explain things at such a deeper level, is because I spend all the time doing it. I spend time listening to how people buy stuff. I collect data at scale. We now work with about 55 B2B SaaS companies. We have data on where buyers come from, where revenue comes from, how much is being spent on media, how that's allocated like all of the different business metrics that are associated with that. We have a ton of data that we're learning from, which allows us to innovate on the product and the strategy at a ridiculously faster rate than a company could on their own. Mm. Um, and so this is a really interesting sort of like um, really interesting. I called it refine labs for a reason. I believe that this will his will evolve into a think tank innovation center where companies basically pay us so that to know what they should be doing in the next 12, 24, and 36 months, because we've already done it and improved it out. Um, so something
1: and- tells me you wouldn't go to them and say this is the exact answer, which is very common in the agency model of what you have, like demand gen, is, okay, we're going to put you into this exact framework, we're going to run this program, and then we're going to expect this many MQLs at the end of it or SQLs at the end of it. And it sounds like to, to me, you're really a testing ground in a, in a, in like, um, you know, trial and error is how you actually run, 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 maybe your programs are your clients programs.
0: Yeah. I mean, the, the frameworks are consistent, how we measure, how we think, what we do, the frameworks yeah. are consistent. There's definitely nuances in how you handle it with the customer. But I mean, it's not, to me, it's not a bad thing. If you found something that worked, it works at every B2B company you run it on. Why wouldn't you run it on the next one? Right. So mm-hmm. I think that people think that formulaic is bad. Like there are times where it's like, okay, we've done this at 50 companies. We know that it works. Like, do you want to do it too? Or should we like test something else that we don't know what works? So there's a core set of things that we know work and we know deliver that we implement with every company. And then once that ha- is over, then we start moving into where are the experiments? What are the more company specific or industry or segment specific things that we want to go and tackle and do based on the needs of the company and the business data and what customers are telling us so So i I
1: definitely before we wrap up here i want to talk about the dark social side of things you've been able to very well verbalize the thing that me as a marketer i've had an understanding of over the years and just the amount of content i've put out there but haven't been able to actually verbalize in the way that you have but you you touch on something interesting what are those core things you know a brand new client comes in to your door what are the core frameworks that you're you know looking at and almost repeatedly are going to go in and implement to make that client successful
0: yeah so uh without getting into too much detail the first step is on well a process trying to get the secret sauce yeah yeah we'll give it away the uh we talk about all the time the the uh the first step that we do is a process called split the funnel Which is where we analyze all of the company's lead sources against leads, pipeline, revenue, and then quantify key metrics like win rate, lead to win rate, um, sales cycle length, ACV, sales velocity, different things like that, to then characterize and see where are the sources that drive revenue at a high rate? Are they also more scalable? And so we start to look at that, which will immediately tell you, these are the programs that aren't working. We should cut them. These are the things that are working. This is what we should optimize for because we're looking at revenue and then working backwards. And all what we're seeing is that people that come from these places and do these actions are the people that become customers. So that's the first thing that we look at. The next thing is focusing on what once we've identified which things to turn off, we go inside at the channel level and say, okay, are, do these things need tweaks or are they, are they literally not working and we need to shut off and build a new strategy? We'll go and redo mainly capturing demand channels because com- companies overspend their paid search, review sites. Um, I don't even consider content syndication a, a captured demand channel because there's not really intent there. So, uh, But search and review sites consume a, most of the budget in a B2B marketing company about probably... 80% or more. Um, and the key is to rebalance those budgets. So we look at where all the stuff that's not working, how do we reduce this budget to what we should actually be spending there, which is typically about 20% of what companies really spend. So if you dropped your budget by 80%, you'd get the same or better results, which is crazy. And then you take that search 80-
1: and just to pause real quick, yeah. search and review sites like a, like a G2 uh, pay G2. Uh, Google search
0: or yeah. the main ones. Yeah. yeah um, gotcha. and then, all the money that's being wasted there that companies have maxed out their budget on paid search to drive ebook downloads or shit like that. You take all of that and you take that and then you go and put it with a content first dark social strategy on LinkedIn ads and Facebook and Instagram ads. And you target that at exactly who you want to get after. So if you're selling to CFOs or the finance department, you're going to pick CFOs, VPs of finance controllers, any other influencers in the, in the deal. And you're going to put together a content strategy where you give them information every single day. Not that you sit there in Google and you hope that the person that's searching for you is qualified to buy, most are not, is qualified to buy, is actually looking to buy, um, like that actually gets to search to buy, right? So you're hoping that other things happen that actually lead them to a Google search to actually do that. So it's moving from a, a reactive strategy where you're waiting for people to come and search something to a proactive strategy. It's I know who I wanna get after. I know what information I wanna give them. Let's go do that now. everybody at scale. Um, And so the and then we go out and work through a a strategic communication plan to say, who are we targeting? What do we want to communicate with them? How are we going to most effectively tell that story to them?
1: How does this play into the big picture of dark social? Also, why did you coin it dark social? Why not dark funnel, if it's kind of like a bigger funnel versus social, if I'm word of mouth, or if I'm on a search site, it's not necessarily social media. So is this apply really only to social media or, yeah. you know, what is, how do you define it and what is kind of the big picture? Yeah.
0: There? I don't call it a, a, the dark funnel because they're different and I'm interested in breaking them down for, for people. So first off, I am not the, the owner of the term dark social. It originated in the early 2010s to define when a person took a Facebook, uh, piece of content and messaged it to somebody else. And that was the original definition. Mm cut that down. Um, That was the original definition. And then over time, since 2014, when that happened to now, a lot of things have changed. And what I did was I took the liberty of using that term and updating the definition to what makes sense in 2022, not what made sense in 2014, which is that through the scale and the maturity of the internet, it's not just Facebook anymore. There are tons of networks, content platforms, different things like that, that have privacy policies that are not giving you the data that are not creating intent data So, and all of those things are not being tracked by what most companies use to measure marketing, which is attribution software. And so dark social broadly is through the scale of the internet, we've created tons of different word of mouth channels that are not being tracked, which is where B2B buying actually happens, where B2B buyers discover, research, and evaluate products using their peers, word of mouth with their peers, because they trust their peers more than the information that the sources where they used to get information. And so that's the key difference. When we think about the places where this happens and the key here between dark funnel and dark social is whether there is intent or not being created. The dark funnel is all about intent where people are in a funnel. Get it? Um, In dark social, this is where people hang out. They don't have intent to buy. They're learning. They're consuming. They're interacting with their peers. They're getting information. They're deciding what business priorities to solve. Very few few of those people actually make it into the quote-unquote dark funnel. Right. And so if you're only focused on the intent part of it, you're missing 99% of the market probably. And so we need to look at these in two separate ways. In dark social, we have social networks, Facebook, LinkedIn, TikTok, etc. We have content platforms, YouTube, Apple, Spotify, places like that. We have direct word of mouth, text messages, Zooms, things like that. We have communities, whether that's on Slack or Discord or a LinkedIn group or a Facebook group or anything like that. We have third-party events where people come to an event like this or people come to go and watch someone speak where it's not hosted by the company. The company's not getting that data, but people are talking about information and things that relate to those companies that can't be tracked. There are tons of different ways where this is happening at word of mouth, whether that's in micro pockets or at scale with people that are getting millions of impressions. And so those are all the places. And if you think about what all the things that I just said, and then you think about where do you get information when you want to buy an expensive considered purchase, you go to the places that I just said.
1: Where and, do we as marketers justify those activities to leadership though? Cause those are yeah. a lot of the things that are, that there's a lot of pushback on in terms of, Hey, I need an investment for a content initiative or mm-hmm. LinkedIn advertising and, in some of these areas that we're struggling, struggling yeah. to justify the ROI.
0: Yeah, I'm just gonna uh, just finish up on this, uh, the dark funnel component for one more second. So you have like, it, man. you got Hit dark it. social, like 99% of the market, not in a buying cycle, not creating intent data in social platforms mm-hmm. that aren't gonna give you any of that. Some people funnel out and then, and so you're in dark social, you're creating demand. Some people funnel out for whatever reason, whether you created the demand, whether they got created on their own, one whether of, of your competitors created demand, and then they move into certain places, which are Google search, review sites, your own website, places like that, where they have and are demonstrating clear intent to buy, which is then creates intent data signals, which defi- is de- how the dark funnel is defined. And so at that point, you're now capturing demand in order to actually like you need the intent signal before you can actually use it. Um, and so if you're only focused below that line, my, what I'm saying is that you're missing most of the places where B2B buyers research today, and you're missing most of your available market by waiting that long. And if you're waiting for intent data before you go and actually start marketing or start sales, you are way too late. Those people have already researched information. They've already discussed with their peers in certain places. They've been listening to podcasts by somebody that's giving them information, and it wasn't you. And so you need to think about how do I get into the place where I am driving people to want to buy our stuff? Um, so that's the difference there. When we think about the actual like justification, uh, I've gotten this question a ton over the past five years. And and um, it's really, um, it's interesting for so long, I spent time trying to fit what I was trying to do into the box that companies use to measure marketing right now, and uh, what I eventually realized is that we need to get out of this dumb box, and we need to think about things like they're new. And so that's what I did. And the easiest thing that we did was in uh, about a year ago now, which is crazy to think about. It, time flies. Is that what I what we did? Is we put a on the form where ninety five percent of our revenue comes from, not ninety five percent of our business's revenue for for a different business that's probably going to be somewhere between 20 and 60% of revenue on your website, we added a form that said, how did you hear about us? And when you put that on there and you're actually doing this stuff, then you get the insights that you're looking for. So when we do that with our own data, we're able to see when people that actually convert into customers, where do they say that they heard about us? They say podcast, LinkedIn, word of mouth, and communities. Who would have thought? Um, and, and so still
1: kind of imperfect though, cause I mean, I think of your own buying habits. It's like you sometimes forget the initial area you heard of someone, but you know, kind of what got you over. Not if you're to doing
0: it, it over time. time, people, if, if you have a content strategy that's built for dark social, which is built on consistently putting out information that people like that people right. teaches people stuff that moves them forward in the buying process. Nobody's going to forget that they watched you on LinkedIn for six months before they converted. Nobody's going to forget that they were been listening to your podcast when you asked them. And so we get very clear answers because our marketing strategy aligns with it. Um, and it's so, it's so simple, mm-hmm. but it provides all the justification you need. And it's like, what would you, what if you're a company, what would you rather drive your strategy decisions off? What software tells you or what your customers tell you? And I'm just encouraging people to think that what your customers tell you is probably more important.
1: hundred percent on that, man, this has been interesting uh you know so appreciative of everything that you've done to push this out and in, into the world and um anything else last minute you're in a room full of uh b2b marketers out there anything else that you want to kind of tie the gap with before you yeah. wrap
0: up yeah when you think when we think about dark social content we need to think about it completely differently than how companies think about content right now they think about content about writing blogs for your website or putting content on your website And when you're in dark social, you need to bring the content to the distribution platform, not put a link in your LinkedIn post to try and get someone back to the website. And so there's a very different strategy that comes down here. And I think just a lot of companies still are making like website content, not dark social content. Um, and so there's a so mindset repeat that change. one more
1: time. Does that mean not linking, not trying to get people to like, just go through a link, but focusing more on the reach and the awareness, you got to like focus on native here. distribution
0: for how it's meant to be consumed in the platform. Right. Mm-hmm. And so people will know this and the data supports it on a, if you run LinkedIn ads, 0.4% of people will click on the ads, which means that 99.6% of people never click and but they see it. They see the content that's there. So instead of hoping that the 0.4% click on your website and do something, why wouldn't you bring the website content, repackage and reform it to what fits in LinkedIn and then put it in the channel. And so companies need to think differently about how they, how they think about content because what they do is they take a website first content strategy because of the measurement component, by the way, the way companies measure marketing, put handcuffs on marketers and restrict them from doing things that actually work today. And so and take it out of that format and rethink if I was going to make content for LinkedIn. It's so funny. When I, uh, when I got my company started, I wrote four blogs and um, those blogs almost took me probably a month. They were robust. I have a couple, I'm going to publish them at some point. because it's kind of, it's kind of an artifact now. Oh, you still Um, haven't published them? (laughs) They got published. We switched CMSs and we haven't put them back up because we just don't have a blog strategy. Um, And I, wrote them, and then I pushed them out on LinkedIn with links, and I got like seven people to the page, and then I said, huh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this paragraph, I'm going to rewrite it, and I'm going to put it in LinkedIn, and that was the second where the content started to take off, because I took it off the website, I repackaged it for what fit inside of LinkedIn, and then I put put it on LinkedIn instead of waiting for people to come to the website, um, and that's a shift that requires new measurement, new mindset, and just an overall different way of thinking about it, so people need, the, the take-home here is that if you're having a dark social strategy, you need to have the right dark social content to fit in there and not just taking your old content strategy and using dark social as distribution.
1: Well, When you're doing it yourself, I mean, you can literally go see how Chris is doing in model. You probably get this question a lot is like, how did you blow up on LinkedIn, right? I'm sure you get asked that pretty often. <laughs> how did you become so popular on LinkedIn? And I mean, look, follow what he's doing like look at the the setup he has yeah look at this, how many camera yeah, I mean, angles this, you've got going the setup is good how many now, cameras but... do you have in there like are you in a studio is that your yeah own yeah studio? we yeah we I've created a, this
0: we created a studio uh i know a how while you blew ago. up
1: i want to know the tech stuff behind it like, yeah yeah we can working? talk
0: about the tech but i want the listeners to know that like it's been it's been three years of posting every day on linkedin nobody has le- delivered the consistency or the the con- increasing quality of content both on the production quality and the information side than me over the past three years I feel confident saying that um, and that is how you win you have a defined audience you create great content that helps them I can't I can't tell you how many messages I get we're gonna celebrate some tonight on our 100th episode of demand gen live about the amount of people that send me messages about hey I got your I've been listening to your content for free. I just got promoted to chief strategy officer or director of demand gen or I started my own company and shit's going well and all that stuff is amazing. That's how you get that's how you get it to work is you give people information that helps them win without thinking about what's in it for me. Mm. Um, and that's the that's a mindset that I have empathy is very difficult for people to wrap, wrap their heads around, but that's how you win. And it and it 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 ends up in I'm not confused here, it ends up in business for my company. But I never think when I'm on a live like this, when I'm doing a podcast, when I'm in my community, when I'm posting on LinkedIn, I never think about how how does this post or how does this event create sales for me? Um, and a lot of people can't flip their mind to get there.
1: Folks, if you're getting value from this, do Chris and I a tiny favor. I mean, minimally give this a like. Second, the best thing you can do, absolutely, is just drop a comment. Say hi, whatever, super helpful. And then third, if even not for you, share this because i guarantee you there's somebody in your network who will get great value of this they maybe haven't been introduced to chris yet and they need to see my ugly mug too i mean come on we're doing this we're doing this doing this live so with that my friend what is the best way for people to find you follow you get into contact with you
0: yeah, absolutely. If you feel, uh, if you'd like to learn more, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Chris Walker. I accept all connection requests that look legitimate, and I don't feel like are going to be a spam pitch afterwards. And uh, and then check out the State of Demand Gen podcast, which is live on Apple and Spotify. Uh, we've published more than 250 episodes on go to market and content strategy for B two B. Um, and have over 50,000 marketers and and, uh, revenue professionals around the world listening to it. So if that is interest of you, I'd encourage you to check it out. That's the State of Demand Gen podcast.
1: I appreciate you much, brothers. Super grateful for you sharing the time today. The rest of you guys, thank you. Much love to you. Make sure you check out the podcast and all your favorite audio apps. And I will see you on the next one. See you, guys.
0: See you, everyone. Hey, everyone, really appreciate you tuning into this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. And I just wanted to take a second to say to all of the listeners out there, we just crossed over 40,000 listeners across the world to this podcast. And so super grateful and super happy that for all of you really appreciate you tuning in, attending the live events, engaging on the LinkedIn content, and now watching us get started up and engaging on YouTube and TikTok. And so thank you thank you thank you to all of you and if you haven't already if you've gotten value from the podcast i would really appreciate it if you could go to apple podcasts in the review section of this podcast and leave a quick review or a rating it would mean a lot to me thank you very much and we'll see you for the next episode